What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress-them-on-the-third-date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Mr. Ide, thank you so much for joining me on this very serious interview with a literary man. Mr. Ide? <laughs> yes, you yes. You never call me that in your life. <laughs> yes. Hi, Joe. How are you? <laughs> good, How's good. it going? Uh, Joe, it's been a year since I saw you. I have my notes and stuff because I really want to do a good job with this interview. I hope The so. great Mr. Ide. Shit, my notes are all <laughs> out of order. Fuck. <laughs> oh, my God. And I've watched a few inter of your interviews and stuff. My goal is to do the best Joe Ide interview on okay. all of YouTube. All right. Okay, so, so let let's you know. begin. Okay, thank you. Yeah, yeah, just give me a progress report every like two minutes and stuff. But okay. for the audience, there is like a sort of Joe's greatest hits that I noticed. Like you're from South Central, you worked for a while in the business and stuff. So let's just start like from the very, very beginning. Childhood. So I grew up in South Central LA mm -hmm. um, in an area that was full of crime and gangs and all the inherent problems of the hood, but as an experience, it wasn't any different than what millions of kids go through every day. My grandparents uh, lived in the area because it was close to little Tokyo. My family lived with them because we were just scraping by. And my grandparents were very old world, hardly spoke English, you know, very stern, formal people and very traditional. Mm -hmm. My grandfather collected samurai swords. Uh -huh. Oh, so... Oh, sorry, Joe. Could you get closer to the mic, please? Sorry. Yeah, you could, like, right there. Yeah. Well, how's that? Yeah. Okay. This is how it goes down in Wild 7. When you're doing the greatest Joe E-Day interview ever, technical things happen, and we keep it in. You know what I mean? Because this is part of the experience, Joe. We're having a human experience. Yeah, we are. Yeah, yeah. This is how it goes normally. <laughs> yeah, yeah. How's it sound? Good? Awesome. Sweet. Thank you, Silent Chris. You were saying? Oh, 
So my grandparents are very traditional. My grandfather collected samurai swords. Mm -hmm. My grandmother had a koi pond, and she had a Japanese garden. And they treated me like, like somebody else's cat. You know what I mean? Like, right. you know, they couldn't actually kill me, but you know, they didn't right. have to be nice to me either. So um, my, my, um, my parents, you know, they, they aspired to get out of the hood, Brady Bunch mainstream. That's what they wanted for their kids, mm. me and my three brothers. But we adapted to the neighborhood. Mm -hmm. you know, um, most of our friends were black. So we co-opted their speech style, musical tastes, right. all of that. So there was always a sort of generational, cultural um, conflict you know, within the house, within mm -hmm. the family. Made more so by the fact that both my parents and my grandparents wanted us kids to have some connection to our own cultural heritage, mm -hmm. uh, which never really worked out. You know. um, my parents made me go to a ceramics class in Little Tokyo. Mm -hmm. Taught by this really famous artist from Japan who's a friend of my grandfather's. Right. So I get there, and there's um, eight or ten of these uh, obsessively clean-cut suburban Japanese kids. And there I am. You know, I got a toothpick in my mouth, and I'm wearing my Ray-Bans indoors. Yeah. And I know I, I got to get the fuck out of here. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. You mentioned, I heard this mentioned by you, that, like, your grandparents moved here, and the neighborhood became black around them. Yes. Like, it wasn't... it sort of just happened and stuff. And they desperately wanted you to get out of there. Did you find yourself you like too American for the Japanese and too Japanese for the Americans? You know what I mean? Like that that kind of typical immigrant kind um, of thing? One way, uh, in in the sense that back then there wasn't all this this conflict like there is between uh blacks and Koreans in the hood. Mm -hmm. There was none of that then. We were just part of the furniture. Right. Pretty much ignored. Mm -hmm. So, on the, in that sense, we were fine. Right, right, um, right. There just wasn't that kind of conflict back right. then. And then culturally, what kind of music were you listening to? What kind of things were you watching? Uh, Motown. Motown? Yeah. Oh, nice. And everybody was like, that was the sound of the neighborhood? Yes. Oh, and, neat. I, and I got transferred to L.A. High, I think I said. And they were, they, you know, they, they were listening to surfer music. Right, right. You know? Like Beach Boys and stuff. You know? yeah. And so I got introduced to this horrible white people. <laughs> yeah, right, right, right. Did your friends from the neighborhood be like, hey, man, what are you listening to? What is this? Well, I'm gone. So right. Oh, oh, I see. I'm I see. gone. So then do you still know anybody from the neighborhood? One, one guy. One guy? Best friend. Yeah. Best friend? Mm -hmm. And then when you see him, is it the same thing? Kind of. No. We're both really old now. Right, so. right, 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 right. <laughs> it's different. He had, you know, he had two boys that were that were, that were gangstered up, mm. and um, so I learned a lot just talking to those guys. Right. And um, uh, Donald was a, a mechanic then; he's a mechanic now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm, nice. Was gang culture prevalent when oh, you? Oh yeah. 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 Um, the the gangs right, the gang right around my house was the outlaws. Uh huh. And my brother was a guy was a member. And he was this one Japanese guy in an all-black gang. That's pretty cool. Yeah. He wore a black kimono. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah. Nice. He was a cool dude. Yeah. But across the street, it was um, the ministers. So if you were on one side of San Pedro Street, you were outlaws. The other side, you were ministers. Mm. And if you were a little bit east, uh, the Trinity Gang. And you went a little bit um, north, and it was Clanton Street. Clan so, Street by meaning... Uh, that's that was, that was what they called. Oh, it. okay. It wasn't the yeah. KKK. Yeah, kind no. Of thing. no, okay, okay. I was like, whoa, in that neighborhood, that's 
I gotta so go there are gangs all over the place. I see, I see. And did they war beef and stuff like that? They beefed, but no, it was so different back then. Like nobody had a gun. You know, they just beat each other's asses. Yeah, so they'd have gang fights. Right, right, right. You know, something would be like scheduled for you know the playground at nine o'clock right. or something. So how did you avoid all that? Um, <clears throat> I avoided it by just not being cool at all. Right, right. <laughs> I mean, I was really this fringe kid, you know. Um, and I wasn't cool in any sense. Mm-hmm. I couldn't compete on any level. Mm-hmm. You know, kids next door, they wear a T-shirt, you know, and jeans. They look cool. Yeah. You know, I look like a, a you know, I just jumped off a freighter from North Korea. <laughs> right, 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 <laughs> so, right. <laughs> I, was, I was pretty much ignored. So you weren't, like, adapting their fashions or anything like that? I you tried just... to. Oh, yeah? I mean, I, at one point, I, I mean, I, I wanted to be black. Right, right. You know, same. I had that period too. Yeah, it's like, you know, well, obviously I didn't make it, but um, I, I just, I just, I couldn't compete. I couldn't hang, and so I became a watcher, a listener. Mm-hmm. Right, which served me well over the years. Mm-hmm. I see. I see. What was school like back then? Like, uh, it was pretty bland because <clears throat> there weren't all these really vicious gangs. Mm-hmm. So everybody was just sort of dusty and poor. Right, 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 right. <laughs> you know? um, you, at a young age, you kind of fell in love with Sherlock Holmes stories, right? Yes. Was that your was reading just one of your refuges, or were you kind of open to everything? Like you had a uh, social life and stuff. I had a, I had um, down going downtown then. Downtown was really nice then. Mm-hmm. You know, like around here. Yeah. Yeah. I was um, uh, big fancy department stores, and there were a lot of of um, you know, upscale businesses. Mm-hmm. And so downtown was like a treat to go down there. Mm. And I would go to the public library. Right, right. And um, that's where I found Sherlock Holmes. Uh-huh. And, you know, it's a beautiful place. Yeah. And uh, I, would get a, I would get a book, and I'd crawl off in a corner somewhere and read till I had to go home. Mm-hmm. And yeah. it was because it was, we had no books in our house. Mm-hmm. You know, we had old copies of Reader's Digest, and that was it. Right, right, right. <laughs> that was it. A question that I ask everybody, what was your movie consumption at that time? Like, what were you watching? And what theaters were around at that time? Uh, we're in the seventies. Uh, uh huh. Um, we had an old fucked up TV, so right, we right. hardly watched that at all. I mean, right. I didn't really watch um, movies until I was in college. Mm-hmm. You know? Ah, and then you know, I it's, it's I wish I had a more inspirational story, man. But I, you know, right, I'm right, just right. Just, no, no, I was, I'm just this bland dude walking around. <laughs> right, right. You, know? but you did mention once that there was a theater that used to show the old kaiju films and stuff in like Japanese flicks. Oh yeah, uh, the Toho was on La Brea. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Oh, okay. But you were like, you were just doing your thing. You weren't like me, like a movie obsessed. No. No. Yeah. No. Books and those general things were, were mm-hmm. your thing. So were so books were always your jam, huh? Like that, those were things that yes, you were, they, they were my place to hide. Yeah. So after, so let's say you graduate high school. Mm-hmm. When did you become a teacher? Oh, I went to uh, I got a degree and a bachelor's degree. I went to graduate school, and I majored in education because my friends were in the program. Right. I had no interest in education. Right, 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 uh, right. And and. You know, with a degree like that, what can you do besides teach? Mm-hmm. So um, I taught grades four to six in one of these great open area classrooms. A lot of things are going on at the same time. Four to six? Yeah. Oh, my God. 
They're, they're different classes, different parts of the room. Right. And if you were in my class, you learned nothing. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> you learned like zero. Yeah. Were the kids wild? No, they were, you know, it's a long time ago. They were very sweet, mm. really nice kids. Everybody's blue collar. Yeah. And um, they had fun in my class, you know, but they didn't learn shit. Right, right, right. You know? so, I imagine you'd be a cool teacher. You just let us do it. I was. Yeah. You know? <laughs> but you said you realized you hated kids, or you just weren't fans of. I'm there, yeah. I'm there for about a week, and I realized, man, I don't like these little motherfuckers. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, <laughs> you know? right. They're noisy. They're running around. Most of the time, I yeah. wanted to slap them, but they were, you know, yeah. I was nice to them. Right, right. You know? I mean, the thing is, I feel you, because, like, I'm nice to kids, mm -hmm. but they have, like, no social grace, and they're crazy, and yes. they have all these weird ideas and stuff like that, and so you just try to if be... If they just didn't talk. You know? <laughs> right, right. They'd be awesome. They'd be okay. You know? It'd be like, you know, my dog. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Which, by the way, lovely dog. I've seen the picture. She's yeah. your you know um how many years did you teach uh, i taught one semester <laughs> one semester yeah. so then you were like okay fuck this this is not no no, no 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 i i needed money but yeah. I, I quit before i was fired mm -hmm. because i didn't do shit right right right, right. and i told this one kid who said my mother wants you to teach us some multiplication tables and i said tell your mother get a calculator <laughs> <laughs> nice good teacher see i imagine if I was in that class, I'd be like the hip student. I'd be like, hey, Mr. E-Day, how's it going? And I'd tell my mom about a calculator. Yo, man. He would be, and I'd hate yeah, you, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You'd hate my guts. So one semester you last. Mm -hmm. When do you start the – what's the thing that you did before you started screenwriting? Uh, a bunch of things. I was a failure at many things. Right. Um, I worked as a, in a big corporation as a middle manager in human resources – I worked as part of a um, consulting team, also business. I was director of a nonprofit that serviced women in prison. Mm -hmm. And um, I also did stuff in between that didn't pay anything. I mean, I was, I was apartment manager in, um, I heard about in East Hollywood. <laughs> How was that? Oh, man. All, uh, almost all the tenants were either prostitutes or recent immigrants from Jew recent immigrants from from Eastern Europe, right? And they're a different thing altogether, <laughs> right? You know, right. Like right. if they couldn't pay the rent, they put a new lock on the door, right? You know, shit like that, right? So then, you know? would you ever have to like be firm with people and be like, "Hey, man, pay your rent," or were you just like, "Whatever"? No, they were like, they were like, "Okay, yeah, no, 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 no. well, then you know, I just wouldn't pay. Yeah, would so they'd be there for like months, right? Would management come down on you like you got to be meaner? You got to be like yeah, yeah. I, I just I just say well you come down here unlock right, that right, fucking right. door. <laughs> Question: Do you think it's a thing with being a writer that they just we just can't do anything but what we do, and it's like the heart doesn't want to go where it doesn't want to go? That's how it became for me. Yeah, you know when I quit screenwriting, there wasn't anything else I could do but mm -hmm. write. Right. You know, um, my brothers, you know. They made up a saying about me. Uh, uh, if your plane crashes in the Amazon and you need to survive, uh, Joe is the one that you should kill and eat. <laughs> so I really have no other skills. Right, so right. I, I didn't really have a choice after screenwriting. And, and I, I was working a lot as a screenwriter, but nothing got made. Right. And it got so frustrating um, because that's how you keep score. Mm -hmm. So um, I quit. Uh, nobody noticed, but... I, right, right. Yeah. And you said that you did stuff for, like, 
pretty much most of the majors out yeah. here, right? Like all the big studios, like Disney, you did something. Yeah. This process that they call development hell, mm-hmm. was that something that your work would be stuck in and you oh, just yeah. kind of, yeah? Everything. So endless meetings, I imagine? Mm-hmm. There, were, there were meetings and I, you know, if you can't pitch, you die. I mean, if you can't pitch, you, you starve. Right, Especially right. for, you know, C-level writer like me. Uh-huh. Um, you had to know how to pitch. You had yeah. to know how to encapsulate a movie in 12 minutes. Mm-hmm. That was my time limit. Right. Because they don't have attention. But they listen to pitches all day. Yeah. Um, but I could pitch. I could pitch. So mm-hmm. I worked. So, yeah. So that's how you got, like, you were able to make a living, basically, just from the skill of pitching? Yeah. Wow. I mean, I could write, too. Yeah. No, right, right, right. But I, I, I um, mostly it was just people like me, and I could pitch well. Right, right. Did you find yourself talking to a lot of dumb people? Oh, oh, oh! One of the meetings, one of the meetings toward the end there that made me quit. Uh, I was talking to this twenty-three-year-old vice president of something, uh-huh. okay, and he thought a pretty woman was a classic. <laughs> I mean, I'm saying to myself, "You got to get out of here, right? You know, right. you just you just have to get out." Was that the straw that broke? The, like you're like, "Fuck this!" It was one of them. Yeah. Oh yeah. And then, like, so, yeah, no, I imagine you're seeing a lot of ignorant people and a lot of people that are, like, 23 and they have these weird positions of power and stuff. Yeah, and, and, and I mean, nepotism is rampant. And um, uh, they're mean-spirited. Yeah. You know, they look at you like, why aren't you Ben Affleck? Right, right, <laughs> you know? right, right. You know? And they would talk on the phone while you're, they would go like this, you know? Yeah. While you're, while you're pitching. Right, right. There's nothing you can do. It's so rude. Yeah. Hopefully you got some good lunches out of it, though. Uh, I got yeah, I ate a lot of lunch. Yeah. <laughs> nice, but so how many years were you doing that before you were like, screw Eight. this? Eight years? Yeah. Damn. Yeah. But it was financially keeping you above water, but yeah. creatively, okay. how are you feeling? Um, you know, after a while, you don't really, you don't sort of think about creativity. Mm-hmm. You know, you're thinking about um, high concepts. Right. Right. You know? So you're you're pitching, you know. Um, uh, pretty woman, and uh, it's a combination of pretty woman and alien. I mean, you're sort of, you know, you're right, kind of right, right, doing concepts, and um, that's more formulistic. Mm-hmm. You know, it's more math than anything else. Mm-hmm. It's like algebra. And there has to be a set piece here and a set piece there, and you have to give a part, good part for the star, and have a range of stars that could do the part. I mean, you're you're making all these mental calculations, right, right, and then it's what's what does the studio want? What do they? What have they already made? Mm-hmm. Who has deals with them? So it's, it's all this stuff that has nothing to do with writing. Right, right. Because, you know? yeah, like, you know, I heard you say that the, the things that happen on the page, they happen when you sit down and you start writing and stuff. Yes. You don't really outline. No. Uh, when you were writing scripts, would you outline and stuff no. like that? No? No. That's beautiful. Like, because most people, they have to stick to some formula or something and, you know. I, I know structure. I know how screenplay works. And I would pitch something or I'd turn an outline, but I wouldn't follow it. Right, right. Because, you know, six months later, I'd be done. Nobody remembers anything. Right. You know, they're not saying, why isn't it the outline? Right, right, right. <laughs> they either like it or they don't. Right. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I could, I could get away with it then, too. Mm-hmm. Did you ever have any uh, studio guys be mad about something or anything? Or no, they were just kind of I had of a couple hit on me. 
Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Not surprising. He's a sexy man, this Joe E. Day. Be careful, ladies. You know, don't don't mess with my friend. <laughs> well, I never had anybody mad at me. Oh yeah, no. Yeah, a lot of people ignore me. So, with things, it's interesting to me this this development hell process. Do things just kind of fizzle out, and that's how it goes? Where they're just yes. you know people stop calling, or you start stop calling, or how does it? It's end? it's um, well, once you've written the script and it's in. Uh, it depends a lot upon the energy of the producer and the energy of the studio. Uh-huh. So um, if they start running out of gas, and they do, if just time is going by and nothing's happening. Right, right. You know, like they can't attach a star, mm-hmm. things like that. Um, or they're kind of dissatisfied with the script and they call somebody in to rewrite it. Mm-hmm. You know, so now the process is stretching out months and months and months. Right, right. And, um, uh, I, you know, I worked on a pitch that... Um, for a long time, and it worked out fine, but then everybody liked it in the room, but then, oh, listen, you know, somebody, this other studio is going to have something coming out next year mm-hmm. that's sort of similar to right. this. Right, right. All these reasons, right? yeah. you know. Or the studio head changes, and he has different tastes, she has different tastes. Oh, oh um, so I've heard this happen before in the business, too, where a project will be at a studio, and then the management changes or something, and then... So then how do you feel when that happens? Like, are you just like, hey, guys, are we still cool? Like, are we still doing this? Or That's what you think. But, yeah. You know, they don't care. <laughs> yeah. What the fuck? You These people out here don't give a fuck. <laughs> They're mean. <laughs> yeah. I mean, if there's, a, if there's a new management, they want to put their stamp on things. Mm-hmm. So they'll keep the, 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 um, or the deals they already have in progress. Right, you know, right, right. They have a deal with Matt Damon. They're not going to drop that. Right. But, you know, the stuff that I wrote, oh. you know, so yeah. Did you ever get a note where you're like, dude, that's the dumbest thing ever. I'm not doing that. Or I'll do it, but it's dumb. Uh, no. No? No. So you've been pretty cool about like, you know, it, it, they, they don't give you their bullshit too much because they know you're a smart guy and stuff. And they're kind of like, they, they agree on the script that you send them and stuff. It's just the development thing that takes forever and stuff yeah. like that. So at what point do you think, fuck this, I'm going to, go do my own thing with the novels and stuff like that? Well, they're, you know, they're a little superstitious mm-hmm. in that, <clears throat> you know, why, why aren't Joey Day's movies getting made? Right. You know, is he an asshole? Is he, you know, um, is he running out of gas or scripts mediocre? He's mm-hmm. always hard to work with. Yeah. And, um, you know, maybe there's just something about him. You know, right, right, right. can't get a movie right, made. Right. We're, not, we're not hiring him. I mean, yeah. it started to stack up, things like that. And, um uh, I got they they uh, the phone call the phones got phone calls got farther and farther in between mm-hmm. and um and I was hardly getting any interest at all right right um and and I'm already frustrated mm-hmm. so uh that's when I quit I see I see so what was the what was the impetus of of IQ were you, did you come up with the character first and were was like and then it just sort of naturally became this kind of, I don't want to say homage, but it, like a sort of, it has things similar with Sherlock Holmes, but it's modern. But I, I wouldn't say it's like a, like a direct lift. It's so its own thing. I've read four of these books. They're awesome, by the way. Check them out. And I have the new one for you to sign, Smoke. And then the new one is coming out on May 22nd, right? May 22nd? May 9th. May 9th. It's called? Fix it. Fix it. Because Isaiah fixes everything, right, Joe? <laughs> yeah, he does. I, I have to say something. You know, 
this Isaiah Quintabe is such a good character for the culture and just for the world. He's so smart and he's so like, he doesn't, he barely uses a gun. He never uses a gun, right? Never. Yeah, I've read these four books, but it's been a while. It's been like a few years since I read the last one. And the thing is, because we were making Debbie and the Devil, by the way, check out Debbie and the Devil on Tubi and uh, by the Blu-ray. Um, it was crazy. I got so spoiled for by you in the years that IQ has been published because every year before it would come out, you would give me an advanced copy and you would sign it. And then I got to read it before every person out here read it. And I just felt so special and stuff. It's who you know. Exactly. You know? So. Exactly. And I'm people that know people. <laughs> but Joe, so what, what was it? Where did it begin, the whole IQ journey? It began uh, with fear and desperation. Mm. I mean, a great place. I'm out of work. Right. And all I can do is write. Mm -hmm. And so... Um, there wasn't anything to write that I could make money off of except novels. Right. So um, I started to write IQ, and, and it's, it's, it's my, um, my past, how I grew up, right. and it's Sherlock Holmes. And, and I only had one idea, mm -hmm. Sherlock in the Hood. Right. That was it. That was my idea. Mm -hmm. And so um, that's what I wrote, and it was very freeing. I mean, I started to enjoy writing again. And this whole and, and it wasn't by committee, you know. There weren't studio executives looking over my shoulder. Right. I could write whatever the fuck I wrote, mm -hmm. and and that's that was my mantra. Every morning I woke up and said, "Write your fucking book." Yeah. Write your fucking book. Yeah. Um, and that's what I did. I was running out of money. I took a second out on the house. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. So the stakes were large. So that was true fear and desperation. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I mean, when your back is against the wall, you do your best stuff. You fight harder. You know. Yeah, it was my wife's idea. Oh yeah. Yeah. Bless yeah. her. She's Bless great. Her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's awesome. <laughs> hey, I met her. You know, she's a great person. Hey, yeah, nice to meet you. Um, yeah. So uh, I was really. So for a lot of reasons, mm -hmm. you know, I'm I'm pushing hard, but right. it still took three years. Yeah. How, yeah. I was about to ask, how long did it take? And did you have like a daily word count quota that you wanted to hit, or would you just go? What was your process like, essentially? Um, I'd start writing, and I didn't worry about pages or um, word count. Mm -hmm. What I what I worried about were the words themselves. Mm -hmm. Is this good? Mm -hmm. Does this does this meet my standard mm -hmm. for good writing? Mm -hmm. And so, if I wrote two paragraphs in a day, that was okay with me. Right. As long as they're good paragraphs. Right. Right. Um, yeah. Was there anything you? read to sort of because prose is totally different from screenplays as yeah. you know how, how was it just getting you know because I, I write screenplays and I've, I've been practicing prose for seven years since yeah, I know you you, you know um, it's different it's way different yeah how long did it take you to get used to that um, a fairly long time you know since I was a screenwriter I thought you know I'm a professional writer the writing part Right. I got it. Yeah. That's yeah. not true. That's what I thought after I, I read your book. I was like, I could do this. And then I read it. You're like, this is shit. And I was like, oh, thank you, Joe. I'll, I'll continue it my took, training. It yeah. took me a year yeah. to learn how to write clear, decent prose. Right. No flourishes, no style. Just, mm -hmm. you know, write the goddamn story. Right. Um, and I had to go back to the beginning. Yeah, I mean, I'm reading things like Elements of Style. You know, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, and it was, it was humbling. Yeah, really focus really on the writing because that's the biggest thing between an aspiring writer and, and getting published is yeah. the writing itself. Right, right. You know? 
separate yeah. and apart from content. Mm -hmm. um, if you don't write well, you're done. Right, right, you know, right. The people who read them, agents and editors, they open the first page and they don't see high quality writing there, they close the book. Exactly, and that's the thing that I wanted to bring up. You once said when you were kind enough, I sent him a, a, a thing I wrote like seven years ago, seven years, so I've, I've matured considerably since then. But you told me it all comes down to that first page yes. and building the world in one paragraph. Mm -hmm. Like for instance, the beginning of IQ, I saw you do a talk where you break down that opening. Mm -hmm. And in that paragraph, you get the environment, you get the character just from the environment and stuff like that. Um, what do you find with new writers, something that you wish you could tell all of them? Uh, the vast majority of them learn how to write. Right, right. That's the main thing. Mm -hmm. And the second thing is, this is gonna take a long time. Right. You know, it's a new profession. It's like saying, well, you know, starting now, I wanna be a dentist. <laughs> You know, you just, you just can't go in and start right, messing right. with people's teeth. Yeah. You know, you really have to become educated. You really mm -hmm. have to practice. You really need experience. Yeah. And, you know, uh, there's, no, no other per there's, no, uh, there's no other profession that doesn't work like that. Mm -hmm. You can say, you know, I'm going to write a bestseller in six months, or I'm going to be a you know, great carpenter in six months and build a house. But in six months, you know, you're just going to cut your arm off with a bandsaw. Right, right, you know? right. You really have to work at it mm -hmm. um, and focus on the quality of your writing mm -hmm. and get criticism. Mm -hmm. You know, new writers, most of the ones I've met, they don't want criticism. Right. They want affirmation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? And if you say something to them, give them a note, um, then you don't understand. <laughs> you have know? you, have, has somebody said that? Like, oh, you don't get it, Joe. Like, oh, yeah. Really? Yeah, that's why, one of the reasons why I stopped doing it. Oh, interesting. Oh, wow. That's funny. Yeah, I mean, uh, and you need a certain amount of talent to begin with. Right, right, right. You know? So do you come across, say you're at a cocktail party or some one of these industry fucking things, mm -hmm. and some guy's like, yeah, you know, I think I want to be a writer. I mean, that, do you say anything to them, or do you just kind of be like, oh, whatever, good luck with that? I, I, I try and sort of put them off in a gentle way. I'll say mm -hmm. something like, well, what are you writing? Mm -hmm. And I'll be interested in the story, mm -hmm. or at least pretend I am. Right, right. And sort of leave it at that, you know? Yeah. This is, this is true. My dentist gave me a screenplay to read. No shit. <laughs> right, okay? right, right. He's my dentist. What am I going to fucking do? Right. <laughs> okay. Right. So uh, here's what the story's about. Okay. It was about a dentist who was recruited by the CIA. Okay. The terrorist, it seems the terrorist, had bad teeth. Okay? Uh -huh. So when he came into the office, the dentist was supposed to implant, you know, little transmitters in his molars. Right. And that's when I stopped reading. Right, right, you know, <laughs> I'm thinking, what the fuck am I going to say? Right, right. Because you know, I got to go in and get my teeth fixed. Yeah, you know, and then, um, well, he got he got into an accident and had to go into rehab for a long time. Uh -huh. Now that shouldn't be funny. <laughs> it's kind of funny, but yeah, <laughs> but <it laughs> right, right, right. So what? Yeah. What? So he just? Oh yeah. wait, the. In the story he went to? No, to this is him. Oh, he did? Yeah. Listen, you know, <laughs> shit happens. What do you, you know, what am I going to do? Feel bad for that? What guy? can I do? You know, um, mm -hmm. did you tell him anything? Were you like, uh, No, he was preoccupied with Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, that's kind of cool that that happened. Yeah. That, you know what I mean? It yeah. gets you off the hook. Oh. Sorry, guy, if you're out here listening to me. You <laughs> you know, know. It's like I'm, I'm sorry I got in the accident, man. But was, was the script called Sexy Dentist? Oh, what was it called? Um, 
I can't get it back. It was like wish fulfillment. It was something that had teeth or dental. Well, that's cool. I hope he saves America or whatever he was planning on on doing that. But, I mean, it is rough. Like... Everybody in this, in my environment, you know, I, we're all good, right? We're pretty good at writing, you know, like it's, it's, we do it every day. We do it like when we come in, we all go to our little corners, we write and stuff. I have very little patience for people outside of our environment wanting to hawk a script because it's like, dude, we worked so hard on our own stuff. It's hard to even get anywhere. What makes you think we're just going to give it to you? You know what I mean? Like it's, you know, and I imagine a lot of people come up to you with these hungry eyes and are like, Hey, will you, you know, make the dream come true and stuff? Um, and I just have to say no. Yeah. You know. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I read your writing because you had talent. Yeah, thank you, sir. Thank you. I could see that. Yeah. You know? Thanks, and plus, um, And plus, it was just you. I mean, yeah, it was, yeah, yeah. It was we, all this gigantic energy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you couldn't ignore it. Thank you, Joe. Thank You're you. welcome. That's it, guys, everybody. Good. No, I'm just kidding. Um, yeah, no, I really appreciate that. I appreciate the talent thing. And, you know, at that time, I was getting my movie off the ground and stuff. And now I've really, really, I, the, the, the art of prose is something that I really just concentrate on. And the thing is, like, in between movies and stuff, I don't want to keep writing screenplays. So it yeah. kind of just keeps me creatively sure. sharp and stuff like sure. that. But um, so IQ, mm-hmm. right now, what's going on with the IQ television show? Ah, that's Saga. Well, um, Alcon, um, which is used to be mostly a finance company, uh-huh. um, they wanted to get into production. Uh-huh. And they're the ones that uh, actually bought the book. And um, they were running around trying to make a deal. They came close a couple of times, but they wanted to be producers. Mm-hmm. They wanted to be the people on the ground. Right. They had no track record. Mm-hmm. So the studio would say, well, we like the material, but not you. Right. And so a couple of deals were like this close that fell through. Mm-hmm. Um, and things like, you know, things like that kept happening. Uh, but but Alcon loved the material. They believed in the material, but yeah. they, they were just incompetent. Well, not incompetent. <laughs> right. They were doing what they uh, thought. That was, was just y- frustrating. Yeah. You know, it was just totally frustrating. Right, right. Um, and then... They were talking to Netflix. Netflix really liked the material. Um, They couldn't make that deal for whatever reason. Mm -hmm. And um, then Alcon decided they're going to make movies Mm -hmm. because they can finance the movies themselves. Right. Uh, And then instead of going to Netflix with a pitch, they go to Netflix with an actual movie, Mm -hmm. um, which is much much easier to sell. Right. Do you like this? Mm-hmm. as opposed to a lot of promises. Right, right. So um, they just did a script by Matt Carnahan, a writer-producer. Oh. And um, it's a really good script. Nice. Yeah, nice. it's a really good script. I feel like it's just a matter of time before IQ, you know, comes out of the book medium and goes to film and TV and whatever it's going to be. Mm-hmm. It's just, for as long as I've known the the property, you, um, that's a, that's been in development and stuff, but I just feel like it's it's gonna happen. Like it's you know like it's a but in that process, is it? Do you find it's kind of the same thing as when you were doing the screenwriting, or is it completely different because you just your skin in the game is different? Um, it's different because I can't think about that anymore. Right. For one, I have a day job. Yeah. And the other is I know. I have some knowledge about how the business works. Mm-hmm. So I can't wait. I can't go, right. oh, is somebody doing this? Is somebody doing that? Right. Know, who likes what? 
I can't do that anymore. Yeah, yeah, you know. Yeah, and then also I feel like a lot of writers that are just novelists that maybe have had no exposure to the business, yeah. they might be easy marks. You know what I mean? Like, sure. like if somebody can make them sign a bad contract, but you're, you've been here. So it's like, you know, which, what sharks look like. And I do. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah, very much. So very much. So. so Joe, if you could give, so there's this kid out there, right? He's out there in YouTube land, you know, we're in YouTube land. It's a very dumb land, but it's, it's here. He's out there. He's young. He's, he's got talent. This kid has talent. Okay. He's about 12, 13. He might be getting into IQ novels. He might. He, he might. Great novels. It's better than that shit they're having you read at school. Um, what do you have to say to that kid? 12 years old, fresh, ready to take on the world, just wants to be a writer, wants to be you. I would say write. Yeah. Um, just write. Write every day. And write something with a structure. Mm-hmm. Don't just write freeform. And don't write like a journal. Mm-hmm. Um, write something with a structure. I see. Write a short story. Write even a vignette, but write something with a beginning, middle, and end. Right. You know? Otherwise, there's no way to praise your work. Yeah. You know, you can't compare your good writing with your bad writing if you're writing a journal. Mm-hmm. You know? um, but mostly, uh, write. Mm-hmm. You know? Interesting. Um, and by the time you're you're of age, actually, uh, make a career out of it. You'll have some basic skills. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and you're going to need those skills, so write and take criticism. If your teacher doesn't like it, there's a reason, and listen to her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah, yeah, don't yeah. tell her to buzz off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You hear that, kid? Write. If you want to write, write. By the way, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar is a big fan of the IQ series. That's pretty cool. It is cool. Chris, Silent Chris is like the hugest Lakers fan, mm. hugest fan of those guys. And hey, shout out, Chris. I love you, man. <laughs> you know, um, it's so fun here. Uh, but, but that's pretty awesome. And what was Jimmy Fallon doing with IQ on the thing? I saw that oh, picture. He's, he, I don't think he's doing it anymore, but he was starting a book club. And um, he had four books that he showed up for the book club. And IQ was one of them. Oh, really? Yeah. That sounds cooler than Oprah's book club. I'll be honest with you. Her book club <laughs> seems kind of, you know, like just, you know, the books are not my cup of tea. By the way, I got to ask you, uh, you did um, a Philip Marlowe book. Oh, yes. I what did. was that like? And how did that all come to be? And so um, it came literally out of the blue. Mm-hmm. Uh, Agent gets a call one day from the, from the Raymond Chandler estate mm-hmm. um, saying that they wanted me to do a contemporary version of um, uh, Philip Marlowe. Uh-huh. And you can't turn that down. Right. So I was thrilled on the first day. <laughs> At the second day, I'm thinking about, do I, am I supposed to write like Chandler? I mean, nobody writes like Chandler. Right. You know? And so he writes in the first person. It's very intimate. I write in the third. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so uh, in the end, I decided, well, I, I can only write the way I write. Right. But then what did contemporary mean? Am I supposed to take Humphrey Bogart and put him in a Tesla driving down Rodeo Boulevard? Right, Listening to Jay-Z? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, No. Um, The most I could do, at least it seemed to me, was to take some of Marlowe's qualities, Mm -hmm. his brashness, his cynicism, his wisecracks. Bruised romantic. Mm -hmm. And to move those forward into a contemporary setting. Mm -hmm. And there are little things in there that are for Marlowe fans, like, Marlowe had an office on um, Hollywood Boulevard, Nivar, you know, so yeah. so is mine. Right. Um, things like that. Mm, and there's a character that's um, 
that's a sort of a Lauren Bacall character. Mm -hmm. And so I'm, there are things in there for fans. That's cool. Um, but in the end, I, had, I decided, you know, I just have to write a good detective story. Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. his name is Marlo. Mm -hmm. so, so that's what I tried to do. Did you see the new movie, Marlo? Yes, I did. What did you think of that, Joe? Um, I didn't think a lot of it. Okay. Yeah. That's good to know. I, I went to see it. It was a very odd movie experience because I went to see it at like 10 o'clock in Marina Del Rey. I was literally the only person in the theater. And that's weird. Like, it, yeah. it, it's weird when you fall asleep. And I'm not, no disrespect to the craftspeople involved in that film, but it just, it was strange seeing it in an empty theater. And I was so drowsy from just work I fell asleep and I kept waking up at like gunshots and stuff. It's like, whoa, what the fuck? And yeah, you know, it was very strange. It was, I thought it was a little weird. Like, you know, I'm not saying it was bad or good, but I just, well, you know. It was boring. Okay, <laughs> Joe said it. I don't have to. Thank really? you. Thank you, Joe. It was boring. It was, you know, it's not only Sorry, me saying it. You know, ask any critic that wrote a review. They all say the same thing. Yeah. Chris, was it Neil Marshall or Neil Jordan? Neil Jordan? Neil Jordan. Sorry, Neil Jordan. Joe thought you were boring. That was a boring movie. <laughs> it was boring. Yeah. Fuck it. J Neil Jordan, <laughs> you made a boring movie. <laughs> Everybody makes boring stuff, including me. Yeah. So. No, not you and not me. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> There's just two exceptions on the yeah. earth. By the way, speaking of not boring, this was the best Joe E. Day interview of YouTube. I, ha I haven't said that. Wait, I haven't, oh, oh, wait, wait, wait. I'll but, leave you to be the judge of that. All right. Yes, well, you will. Okay. Can I ask you now? Actually, it is. It is? Yes. Because it was a conversation. Thank you, it, Joe. And it was fun. Thank you, know? you, Joe. You're the best, Joe Ide. Thank you for being <laughs> my homie. Thank you for being a friend of Wild 7, Joe. Um, uh, is there anything else you would like to say to the general public out there, to aspiring writers, to Hollywood scumbags, to people that make boring movies, anything? You, the, the floor is yours. Don't stop. Never quit. The thing I'm proudest of and uh, my writing career is I never gave up. Word. Never. Word. Whatever the writing problem was, whatever setback there was, I might have gone forward in, in the wrong way, but I didn't give up. Right. And you're going to need that if you're going to be a writer. Do you hear it's that, one, you motherfuckers? <laughs> it's, one of, it's one of those things. Commit or don't commit. Not everybody has to be a writer. Or there's other things to write. But if you're going to be a novelist, it's a new career. Commit or don't commit. Word. Word. I had one more goofy thing I wanted to say, but it completely slipped my mind, Joe. I'm not sorry. <laughs> hey, you know. <laughs> Joe Ide, thank you so much for coming to The Lair. We love you here. You always have a friend in Wild 7. Joe Ide is the man. And look forward to any IQ coming out May 9th. Fix it. Yes. Starring Isaiah Quintabe. And uh, also The Goodbye Coast. Goodbye Coast. The Goodbye Coast, a new Philip Marlowe book. An, a non-boring Philip Marlowe story, I might say. And by the way, that movie was based on like a new Philip Marlowe thing, right? It wasn't a, a Raymond Chandler himself. Oh, it was like he was from the estate anything. or whatever. It wasn't, it wasn't like... Boring. Boring. Joe and I were sleeping. Did you sleep? <laughs> I watched... Like, I don't know, 15 minutes of it. And then you, I went, uh, you Hollywood fuckers should uh, adapt the Goodbye Coast. That's the good one. What is this Marlowe there is. shit? There it is. Fuckers, they get me so mad, Joe, this Hollywood establishment. I hate him. Hate him. Thank you, Joe, for visiting.
please take a moment and hit those like and subscribe buttons. While a small gesture, it really means a lot to Wild 7 Studios and allows us to continue creating meaningful and fun content for your viewing pleasure.